We're going to um, take a look at Scripture right now, and Cody's coming up to read to you this passage from Luke. Uh, j- just to give you a very quick understanding, Martha and Mary are sisters. They uh, were those in that group of 120 or so who were very close to Jesus. They had a brother named Lazarus who had some pretty amazing things happen to him, as you may remember the biblical story. This predates all of that, though. They're just starting to really build on their relationship. Uh, They encounter each other earlier in the day, and Jesus says, I'd love to stop by your house. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Cody. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious, loving, and eternal God, we do ask that your spirit would flow upon us because, quite frankly, we understand some of that angst that Martha was feeling. We understand a feeling of stress and worry and concern, maybe even panic. And so we ask that you would speak to us as clearly as you did them, if not audibly, at least by the stirring within our hearts, using my words, the fellowship of this community, whatever tools you use today, Lord, it is our prayer that we leave this place encountering you and being blessed by you. For all your people and to your glory, I offer this prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. Martha seems pretty anxious to me in this story, and perhaps for good reason. Jesus was coming to her house. Now, depending on how you read the story and what version you're using, either Martha invited Jesus in or he said, I'd like to stop by. But either way, Jesus is coming to your house. Martha immediately began to think about everything that needed to get done because this critically important guest was stopping by. Now, my guess is, the way I read Martha in the Scriptures, her house was probably already fairly clean. But not special guest clean. You understand? You know, if you come in the living room, it looks good, but if you step back in the bathroom, oh my Lord. And you know how that day is, right? And there was probably food to eat in the house, but not the kind that you put out for special guests. So she's panicked, and she's taking charge in that household, which my guess is was her role on a daily basis. And on the day when Jesus says he's coming into your house, she went into hyper-stress, hyper-anxiety. And not helping with that stress level was exactly the relationship going on with her sister Mary, who also wasn't helping with the chores in the house. My guess is that probably was historically a description of their relationship, too. I am a father of two daughters. They relate to each other the same way now as they did when they were about yay high. 
Some things don't change. Martha became so stressed, even while Jesus was already there in the house, that it filled up in her so much she had to just share her stress with others. So she goes in the room and she sees Mary sitting there listening to Jesus and like the, I assume, older, bigger sister says, hey Jesus, can you get her to help me? Do you think she might have said that to her parents back when they were both in preschool? I'm guessing yes. Can you make her help me? And Mary is completely ignoring her. And Jesus says this, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by so many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little surprised by his response. But as I begin to think longer about this story, I discover that this is not permission for me to keep a messy house. It is not to side on the side of the ones who are the get things neat and orderly and those of you who don't are wrong. That's not the point of this story. So what is it teaching us? I believe at the end of all of my thinking and praying about this passage is simply this. When we focus on the things that really matter, that are of the ultimate importance, we find balance in our life. When our lives reflect the kind of life that Jesus taught us to live, then we find that even in the middle of anxious times, we can find peace. Now, I get why Martha wanted Mary to help her. But on that afternoon, think about this, on that afternoon, were the tasks of the house really more important than spending time with Jesus? I mean, he wasn't coming to stay. He was going to be there for a little while, and then he was going to move on. In that moment, is it possible that the priorities that Martha had were superseding even the priorities that Jesus had for what might happen that afternoon? I'm not sure Jesus cared about the messy parts of the house. He seems to prove over and over again to me he doesn't care about the messy parts of my life or to say it doesn't put him off. And when you only have a few minutes to spend with someone, do you want to waste those minutes by not being with them? The decisions that we make at our core about what we value and how we function and what we prioritize are critical to determining how we will journey in our life, what we will allow ourselves to be stressed over and allow us to find the peace in all situations. As Jesus followers... Those of us who believe that Jesus indeed has something to teach us, something to reveal to us in our daily walk, we are called to understand that following his pattern, listening to his teachings and applying them to our life really do make a difference. And that when we come to church, it is not about having our preconceived priorities blessed 
It's rather allowing our lives to be opened into the presence of Christ, to breathe that deep sigh, to relieve the stresses we've been carrying, and ask the Lord, what shall I do now? And then listen and be willing to do it. We are called here to learn from Jesus a way of life and then commit to living it every day. So does the teaching of Jesus have anything to say to me about living in the middle of an anxious world with the anxiety I have within me? I want to be very clear. Anxiety is an emotion like any other emotion we have. Sadness, joy, whatever emotion you're thinking about. Anxiety comes to us when we begin to get concerned and fearful over an event or an outcome of which we are not certain. Any of you here been anxious in the last week or two? How about since 8 o'clock this morning? Anybody? Now, I am really clear, and I want to make sure you understand that I'm clear, that anxiety disorder is not simply an emotion. It is rather a mental health issue that can be treated. And it needs to be treated and needs to be able to be treated in ways that God has given us through medical science to do so. But the anxiety that we experience, most of us on a daily basis, comes from the place where we are uncertain what to do in the face of uncertain situations with uncertain outcomes. So what does Jesus say to us about how we can live in the midst of all that and find our peace? I really do believe that Jesus invites us to live generously. You see, my anxiety comes from my fear, from my thinking that there's scarcity. My, my anxiety comes from believing that God is not bigger than the thing I'm anxious about. My anxiety comes because I believe that somehow God has surrendered control over this part of my life, over these happenings in my world. But when I live generously, I begin to focus on the God who has promised me to be over-generous to me in all situations, not just the good days, and not always just as I expect. But Jesus' generosity to me is unfailing and never-ending. Even in the moments when I am anxious, God is faithful. And when I can understand that and live that truth, it caused me to live as generously as Jesus did, stopping by the house of Mary and Martha, on his way to teach the entire world how to live, on the way in which he was willing to give everything for you and me, even including his life. To live generously is not a conversation on how to do something. To live generously is not to talk about how can I become a person who does all these behaviors generously. To live generously is to decide at our core being, am I willing to become a generous person? Because I first receive the generosity of God. Over the past two weeks, we've talked about living generously by how we share our time and our talents. We spent time working with youth and with the children last week in the family worship service, a particular message for them. This morning, I want to talk to you about living generously with our money. Now, my saying that sentence immediately makes some of you anxious. I get it. Because our attitude towards our money is one of the greatest producers of stress and argument and discomfort we have in our world. Our attitude towards money creates within our families and within our community 
battles and struggles that literally at times can bring relationships to a teetering point. But that's because we have not learned how to live generously. It's, not, it's because we have not placed the core of who our life is in the hands of the one whom we call our Lord. I want to contrast to you the crazy way the world lives that messes up our lives, that all of us have lived to some extent and maybe still do, and then I want to share with you how Jesus taught us to live. Well, here are some unhealthy assumptions about how we think about money from a non-faith perspective. I think the words should be on the screen. They are. One, if I had more money, I would not be stressed. How many of you believe if you had more money, your stress would reduce? Oh, come on. How many of you bought lottery tickets hoping your stress would be reduced? It's a billion dollars. Come on and confess. Stop it. The truth is, if you had more money, you would take care of the bills you now are worried about. But let me explain this to you. In my 39 years of ministry, I've been with people who have no money and are at peace. And I have been with people who have mega millions who are stressed and worried about it. The reality of what stresses us about our money is not what we have or don't have. It comes from another place. I'm going to come there in just a second. Let me use a second illustration, though. How many of you can remember how much you made in your first year of the work that you did? Is that number different than the number you make today? Is it? And let me tell you, some of you are just as stressed about money now as you were then. It's not about the amount. Secondly, that what I make, what comes my way, um, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, I just skipped one, I'm sorry. Well, I, would give, I will give randomly when I can or out of what is left over. My generosity happens when I can, which often translates into when a very highly motivated speaker who can influence me makes an impassioned plea and moves my heart and I reach in my pocket and I give something. That's being generous. Or when I have something left over. But that's not living generously. Because living generously is about making a decision the very moment I receive whatever I receive so I can be in a position to be present to what I believe God is calling me to be present to. And giving out of what I have left over? Do you know the moment when the majority of us will give away the biggest gifts we ever have? When we die. We wait till we die. You know how I know that? I went to talk to my dad this past week about cleaning out the barn. Any of you ever have to take care of your parents' or your grandparents' possessions after they pass away and clean out their house? Stressful?
I want to share with you this fact. That to live generously is to live understanding that it's not about the money I have or don't have that stresses me. It's not about what I give away. I also want to give this other thought. We think that whatever we make or comes our way is mine. So you pay me my paycheck, and that's for me, and that's all for me, and I'm going to use that for me, and I do, and I can. But to live generously is to believe that what comes our way is given to disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, which means I'm going to use some of it for me because I need to eat and have a house and drive a car, whatever have you. But I don't need to drive the newest car or have the biggest house because I also want space in my life to change the world. Because for whatever reason, God has given me this resource which I have in my hands to use for transformation. These unhealthy assumptions about our money are contrasted with what we now understand about living generously from the faith. First, my peace comes from a place that can't be taken from me. How much money I have will never affect the amount of peace that I have. Whether or not my physical health is strong or challenged cannot take my peace from me. Now, please help me understand. I'm not saying you won't experience stress. I get it. But our peace comes from another place. And my possessions will never give me peace. That what I earn is an opportunity to impact the world. As I just said, I want to be able to use some of my resources to be able to change the world. But I also want to be able to be in my life living with something bigger than me. That I'm invested in things that are going to change the world that are bigger than me. That I want to partner with people who together with me are going to change the world. And to live generously means that I will choose intentionally to consume less so that I can live more. Have you understood that oftentimes what we consume is what becomes our masters? We'll worry about protecting our stuff rather than serving our Lord. I want to consume less so that I can actually become freer in my life, more responsive to God. Now, I want to share this. We have youth up in the balcony. I'm going to speak to them for a few minutes. I invite you to listen in. Hey, guys. Good morning. My youth up there, say hi. Everyone say hi. All right. Catch this. Seriously. If you can listen to me right now and take what I'm telling you, and if you want to stand up to see me over the board, I invite you to do that because I'd love to see your faces. This is really important. If you can take what I'm about to tell you and put it into your life, it will change the rest of your life. I mean this. So here's where it starts. How much money that you get in your life do you think you're supposed to earn? that you're supposed to spend, I mean, I apologize, spend. It's this right here, 105%. (laughs) What I mean by that is, is that we believe that whatever we get is just not quite enough yet. And you get whatever you get, and you take it, and you spend it out right away. And in spending it out, 
You need 5% more, or 10% more, 20% more, and so you borrow to be able to do the things you really want to do. That's what happens. So watch what happens when we do this. We feel like we never have enough. You spend your life feeling like, oh, if I just had a little bit more, and you keep your life striving over having just a little bit more and never being content with what you have. You go into debt. And I understand debt right now doesn't mean a lot to you, but let me explain to you right now, debt is crushing to the spirit, yes? Particularly certain kinds of debt like credit cards. Amen? You're going to probably buy a house one day or maybe even a car that you can't pay for with cash. I get that. But certain kinds of debt can truly destroy relationships. I've seen it. And you will live with fear and anxiety all the rest of your life because you never find contentment. Listen to me right now. 105% is a deadly way to live with your soul and your heart. So let me share with you an example of how to live faithfully with your money and serving Jesus Christ. Do this ratio, 10% for God. Now, I don't, you know, I'd love to tell you, give all that 10% to the church. But where you put that 10% is between you and God. But with what you receive, honor God first. Not after, but before everything else is paid. Take something, and maybe it's not going to be 10% right away. For you guys, you have a greater chance of it being 10% right away than these people because these people didn't have someone teach them this when you were their age. Am I right? Had you started, teach them, had you started at their age putting 10% away to God first and then 10% away to save for a future, would your life be different today? For the majority of you, the answer is yes. Now's the time to start. 10% for God... Give it to a cause that you believe in that's bigger than you because your life should always be bigger than you. Put 10% away to save because, well, let me just say this. Laura and I went to a pre-retirement seminar this past week. I've been, I'm 63 years old, which I know feels like I'm just ancient to you guys. But when you get to be in your 50s and 60s and you've been putting 10% away from your age, the future would be different. And let me say this. I don't mean because you can buy a bigger house in retirement. I say because you can invest more in the things that will change the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. And keep 80% for yourself. You get to keep 80% of everything you make for yourself. And if you balance out the rest of that by serving God and saving, your life will be changed. Now, am I right or not? So let me say this. Let me say this to you guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, I'm talking to my youth now. Just chill out. <laughs> Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I'm really mean this. The next, the next gift someone gives you, start practicing this behavior. Your life will be changed forever. I know it's a fact. And the world will be changed because your generation, your generation will be the one to change it because you're aligned differently to God's glory. All right, now you guys can sit down. Thank you for listening. Now, you can argue with me about the percentages. I don't care about percentages. 
And some of you in the main floor here are saying, I've never lived that way before. Don't you wish you'd started that way in your 18 and 20-year-olds? And maybe you can't get there tomorrow. There are all kinds of ways to start turning that around, though. Next time you get a raise, bank it or give it away or use a percentage differently. But do you understand, I'm not up here telling you about how to handle money alone. That's not my whole point. It is to understand that the way you use your money reflects whether you're living a generous life, whether you're at peace, whether you're able to feel good about what you're doing to change the world for the sake of Christ, whether you can feel hopeful about the future instead of anxious and worried that you won't have enough. When Jesus listened to Martha and Mary, Martha's priorities were not flawed by the rest of the world's perspective. I can get on board with why she wants a good-looking house for a special guest. That's nothing really wrong with that. But what he said to Mary was this. Or what he said to Martha about Mary was this. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. What she chose on that day would never be taken from her. The house was going to get dirty again. They were going to need to get groceries again. But what was given to Mary on that day was a lasting gift, and that's where you want to live your life. Because here's the ultimate truth. If what you have can be taken away from you, then you never really owned it. You were just managing it for a while. You and I are invited to live generously, and it is so countercultural. I get a lot of you in the room right now are saying, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't raised this way. I know you weren't raised this way. That's why this world's as screwed up as it is. We've not listened to Jesus. And I'm not giving you the percentages as if somehow those are the only way you can live. I, listen, I talked to friends who are living at 70, 30. I mean, who cares what the, the, the point is? How are you living your life to find the peace that God promises, to change the world that God invites us to do, unless we also align those core truths of our lives. I'm inviting you to become the most generous people in the world because that's where you will find your peace, and that's where you will have power. I told you last year that I believed in my heart Clark's United Methodist Church is called to become the most generous community of faith beyond our wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I tell you that not just so the church can raise a lot of money. I tell you that so the world can see in this community a radical group of people living in a radically different way with peace and joy and impact and power in the world in which they live. That's why we're called to live generously. I invite you to do that with me. Next week, we're going to be receiving our estimate of giving cards for 2019. That will be our contributions that we are estimating to be able to help meet the cost of day-to-day ministry next year. You will receive those cards next Sunday in church. I really implore you to be here because it's such a powerful moment when you as a family comes together with your card that you will fill out in worship. You can be praying about that number and thinking about it this week. I encourage you to do so. But last year, when people came forward together, I heard story after story of how important it was for them as a family to come together and put that card into the receptacle as they came forward. It was a moment of declaration of who they were as a family, what they believed in. And I hope you'll be a part of that next Sunday with us. If not, 
then get your cards in within the next two weeks. That'll help us in terms of estimating our budget. But let me give you these figures. Next slide. The taking the next step, and in the pews there's a step chart that Megan's going to talk to you about in a second. It indicates that we all are giving at certain levels, and you can find your spot. Megan's going to help you with that in a second. But if all of us were to take the next step in a move towards living generous lives, and I'm not saying this is the only way you should do it. I'm not saying this is the only place you can do it. It's not, that's not the case at all. But if you do it here, we would more than adequately fund our estimated budget next year of $1.8 million. Money that we need to be able to do the impact in ministry that's happening and we plan to do next year. If everybody in this church, by the way, there are 760 families on that step chart. 760 families. And every one of them is important. And I know that people give at different levels because they're coming into the ministry differently. I don't look at that step chart as here the better ones, here the worst ones. I don't look at that at all. That's nonsense. There are 760 families supporting this church by their presence, by their prayers, and by their gifts. If all 760 of those families, though, were to do the 10% thing I was just explaining to the youth and give it to the church, we would raise just slightly under, and this is the most conservative estimate possible. I know it's more than this. We'd raise close to $4 million for our budget. Why do I tell you that? Because I think you're going to do that. I really don't. I'm persuasive, but I'm not that good. (laughs) And I expect I'll be dead before you all are actually doing that kind of giving. But I just share that to tell you this. It's not about whether whether or not there's enough money to do the ministry. That is not the issue. It's about whether we're ready to live generous lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer for you that all of us in this next week will take the next step to become the disciples Jesus needs to be. Part of that is the, is the giving chart. Part of that is what you'll give next Sunday. Most of it is by the decision you make today by how you're going to live your life tomorrow. Are you ready to buy into what Mary was caring about or are you going to keep worrying about the things that Martha was worried about? If we don't meet the budget, but all of you become people who are growing in your generosity That would be a holy thing. I also happen to know, out of my experience, if all of us take the next step to do what Jesus needs us to do, meeting the budget will not be a concern. So it's a both and. I invite you to join with me in a moment of prayer as we think about and begin our conversations with God over this over the next week. Loving God. My head can sometimes get confused with numbers, and then there are some of us who get so attracted to the numbers we forget about what's behind it. This is not about numbers right now. It's about you and me. It's about faith. It's about how I want to live my life. It's about getting tired of worrying and stressing and being afraid. It's about wanting to do something in this world for your sake, something I get excited about, something that I'm invested in, something that will last after I'm gone. So I ask that you would move in the heart of every person in this room for us to think about what to do next in our personal walk of faith to grow as your children. Help us be mindful about the decisions we make to help this ministry move forward, yes. But bless everything that we bring to you now so that we'll bring the harvest that you need to bring, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord.
Amen. As we talk about generosity, it is important to have tools and resources that help us to put our values into action. And so you probably saw as you sat down in the pew this morning a piece of paper that is called Generosity's Gifts, Taking the Next Step, a Breakdown of Our Congregation's Annual Giving Patterns. And like the title suggests, it's a big picture look at our congregation and the different ways that folks give to the ministry here. And it's a resource to help you identify where you and your family are in your giving and to help discern whether God might be inviting you to take the next step in your commitment to the ministry here. So take, to, take a look down at the bottom left of this staircase on the first step. We have 267 families who support the church, but they don't currently make a pledge to the church. And there's any number of different reasons that that might be the case. Uh, maybe you are new to the church if you're in this step. Maybe you have financial constraints, a fixed income. Or maybe you give and you just haven't filled out a pledge card. Uh, there's any number of reasons that folks might be on this first step. And if you are in this category, maybe God is calling you to fill out a pledge card for the first time this year. Maybe God is calling you to give in a different way this year. Jumping to the second step on the chart, we have 132 families who pledge between $1 and $25 a month to the ministry here, which amounts up to $300 in a year. These families have made an intentional commitment on this second step to support the ministry and mission that happens here at CUMC. They've planned what they wanted to give in a year, and then they've made that plan into a commitment by filling out a card and turning it into us last year so we could plan our ministry and work as a church. And some of these households made that commitment for the very first time last year, and we are so grateful for them and for those gifts. You can see the number of households represented on the third step of the chart. 38 households give between $26 and $41 in a month. And then I want to draw your attention to steps four and five. 65 households give between $42 and $83 in a month, and 77 households give between $84 and $125 in a month, and that means 142 households who are part of our church give between $500 and $1,500 in a year, which is a significant commitment to the ministry here, and that means that the majority of the households on this chart in their intentional giving are on those steps, steps four and steps five. Now, as you continue up the chart, you can see all the different households represented in the different areas. Um, up towards the top, we have 22 households that give between $500 and $833 a month. We've got four households that pledge between $834 and $1,250 in a month. Uh, six households in that next category. And then up at the top step there, five households who pledge upwards of $1,600 in a month. Now, as you, read, as you read through these steps, I hope that you're beginning to think where your household and your family falls in the mix on these different, uh, different increments and how God might be leading you to give and commit next year to the ministry here. And an easy way to think about your financial giving is in terms of these steps because it breaks down the numbers in a manageable way and in a way that doesn't suggest that suddenly you... Uh, 
quadruple your giving, although certainly that's a choice, but helps you take the next step in a more manageable way for your family and your household. So for example, let's say that you currently give $20 a month. That's about $5 a week, $240 in a year. There's many families who fall into that category in our church. As you look at the step chart, your household would fall into that second step there, that $26 to $41 in a month range. Increasing your gift from $20 a month to $30 a month would take you to that next step on the chart. And it would be a manageable increase in financial giving. And so that's the way we hope you use the chart, that it's a resource, that it's a tool to help you think about your giving and your finances as you discern how God might be calling to you calling you to use your resources in the year of 2019. On the back of the chart, we've provided another resource for you for those who wish to make their pledge based on a percentage of their annual income. And so just to show you how this works, for example, I make $49,000 in a year. That's not on the chart, so I'll round it up. $50,000 right up here at the top. Um, I've personally committed to giving 10% of my salary before any other deductions are taken, so I just follow that over 50,000 to the 10% uh, category here. Uh, it helps me know that my gift is gonna be around $400 a month to the church. And so that's the way you use this chart as you plan your giving based on percentages. Helps you give a ballpark, helps you kind of understand big picture where, where you are and where God might be calling you to be. Flip back to that front side for a moment, the step chart. Last year we had really good success with this model as a congregation. We had 46 families who are part of our church who decided to take that next step based on this chart, who increased their giving from one level to the next. 46 families. That is a huge commitment and a huge leading of the Holy Spirit, and we are so grateful for all those who were able to make that choice. The folks in our finance office did some projections based on this giving chart, and they told us that if every family in the church were to take that next step up, whether you're pledging nothing or you're pledging uh, in the middle of the chart or wherever you are, if you increased your giving one step and every family did that, we could support $2 million of ministry and programs to change people's lives here in the Clarkston community. I don't know about you, but it's exciting to think about the lives that will be changed next year because of our generosity and the way that our community will be shaped by the sake of Jesus Christ. I hope the chart provides a resource for you and provides a tool as you're thinking about next year and what God might be leading you to do. Thank you.